Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Hey, church family, so glad that you're together and that we can do this together. If you're from Manitoba, you're not doing anything else. So you might as well come here, hear God's word and open it up. And we're going to see something in our jailbreak series that I hope is really going to encourage you. Um, I was talking to somebody after the first uh, taping and they said, hey, I had my own personal therapy session this morning. So there you go. So if that's what you need, uh, we're all in. We're going to look at a very, very familiar passage and we're going to talk about Jesus jailbreak and what that really looks like for us and that it, and in fact, it's incredibly important that Jesus came not only to die for us, but also to model for us what it's like to be human, how we can really live to our fullest potential, how we can come up against know everything that life gives us, and we can come through it, and it, it never, ever, ever stops us. So we're looking forward to that. We're going to say jailbreaking like Jesus. We'll do that together. So I want you to take a minute and think about Jesus' whole life and what he lived all across that whole time that he was in the world. And you may not have thought of the fact that there was jailbreaking breaks that he did, but actually he was doing it all the time. And the first one that you could think of where he was breaking free, which is a lot of what our series is about, is that he would say something to the Pharisees, probably the religious leaders of the time, and it seems like they were always like mad at him. No matter what he was doing, they were mad at him. And at one point in John 8, he said at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them. And he left the temple. I thought, that is very cool. This is like some super Jedi stuff he has going on. You don't want to throw stones at me. And boom, he just walked out of there. I think that's quite fantastic, right? And a few chapters later, it says, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And he just went away. And all through, Jesus had this thing going on where, because, and, and here's, I think the takeaway for us is, Things only happen to us when the time is right. Jesus' time to be killed wasn't then, and his life was in God's hands, just like your and my life is in God's hands. And so Jesus could escape all sorts of things. The second way that Jesus escaped, and I think this is kind of the most spectacular one that he did, was when he had died and resurrected, and he had his new resurrected body, and he was talking to the disciples, and he says, okay, guys, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and it's going to be great. Great. And then he goes, and, and this is the picture, at least the picture I got from Sunday school. Then he goes and he begins to float. And he floats up into the air and he just disappears. This guy knows how to make an exit, right? I like, how cool is that, right? He just floats. And they're just sitting there looking up and going. And all of a sudden they look around and there's angels. And the angels are saying, hey, this same Jesus who went up is going to come back down and he's going to get you. And the Bible says, I'll fly away, oh glory. Yes. And you and I are going to fly away. I wasn't actually intending to sing that. That was really terrible. I'm sorry about that. But you know what? I think we can get excited about that. The fact is that is the ultimate jailbreak is that we are out of this body. We are out of Dodge. We are out of here. And we get to go be with Jesus and we get to go live. I think we should be way more excited and way more thoughtful about that as we live our life. Both of those are awesome jailbreaks. Not what we're going to talk about. The third jailbreak is, I think, the most helpful one that Jesus models for us. 
And it's a story that we're going to look at from the, uh, Mark chapter 14, where Jesus is in the garden. He has just kind of completed everything he needed to complete in his earthly ministry of walking around and being with the people. And he is pointed right toward the cross. And he gets into this moment where everything starts to weigh on him. And we're going to basically be talking about how do we deal with our mind? Because that's the place where you're going to get in bondage. That's the place where you need the biggest jailbreaks in our mind. Because you can either be free or you can be bound in your mind. And so we're going to, we're going to take a look at Jesus. We're going to t- walk through it step by step. How did he model for us way that we can, here's the phrase I'm going to use, that we can ventilate our thoughts so we can have the mind of Christ. Because the, the fact is, you and I have the mind of Christ. And you think, well, you know, that seems a bit murky to me. <laughs> like, I'm not sure how much of that is Jesus and there's a lot of that other stuff going on. And that's why we need to have this whole jailbreak in this where we understand what Jesus did in the garden is actually a model for us so we can live with healthy minds, so we can have the mind of Christ. And so here's what we do. We feel your mind in the Bible, this is kind of very important for us to get this, is that you think, feel, and choose And we shouldn't confuse that with our brain, that gray matter thing that we have. The mind, when it talks about the mind in the Bible, it's actually all of those things together. What you think, what you feel, and what you choose. And we need to get into our right mind. So here's the way sometimes we live. And then I'm going to contrast it the way uh, Jesus taught us how to live. We live out of our emotions, we believe every thought, and we make our own truth. And that is a recipe for bondage. That's a recipe for disaster is what it is, right? We, we, we take every emotion and we live out of that and we make decisions out of emotions. You take every thought. Can you imagine if every thought you owned is yours? It's terrifying, right? And, and we take those thoughts and then we live out of our truth. And I realize that our truth is a word that can be positive where you say you, get to, you have a voice to speak it. But really the our truth is about not, go, not submitting yourself to saying there's something higher and something greater and it's God. And so here's really what we need to do. And I want you to think about this. We take note of our emotions. We take responsibility for our thoughts and we believe God's truth. So I'll take just a minute to unpack. You take a note of your emotions. In other words, when you're in a situation and you're feeling like we just had worship and you're feeling that worship, you know, your emotions are for feeling those things and you're, and that's great. And you go, ah, that's good. Thank you, God. You're out in nature and you feel those things or you're feeling something and you go, oh, that's not going very well. My feelings are kind of a barometer for when things are not great. So you take note of those things. And then what you do is you take responsibility for your thoughts. And this is incredibly important because the devil made me do it is actually a terrible answer. You and I are responsible for our own thoughts. And by that, I don't mean that we own every thought that we have, but we, the Bible talks about taking every thought captive. In other words, we, there are some thoughts we need to ventilate out. We realize that I don't own that thought as mine. I have a whole bunch of thoughts that come in and then I have the mind of Christ and I need to ventilate some of those thoughts out and just, all right, straight through, keep going. I don't need to think that thought. I don't need to own that thought. I don't need to camp in that thought. And I can just let that thought go straight through. And as I do those first two things, then I get in the place where I say, okay, actually it's God's truth. 
that I'm going to build my life on. And so that's basically the model that Jesus had. So let's look at Mark chapter 14. And the key verse right now is in verse 36. And he says, Abba. And that's not the Abba that you heard in the worship that, that Derek snuck into. This means father. He says, everything is possible for you. It's an incredibly important statement. Take this cup from me. That's a working it out statement. And he says, yet not what I will but but you will. That's sort of the, the whole crux of it. If you want to take Jesus sort of how, how you do mental health, it's actually all in that statement right there. But I want to tell the story through. Jesus is with his disciples. He's coming to that place. He goes to the garden. He has his 12 that he says, pray for me. Jesus asked people to pray for him, right? Then he takes his three, his closest compadres, and those are people who are, know his heart, and he said, and then he begins to share with them what he's feeling at his absolute deepest core, and he shares it with them. Sometimes we focus on the bad side of the friends, but I want you to get this, right? He, he gets people to pray for him. He focuses his heart, and, and he pours it out to those people who were closest to him. And then he says, he, he took Peter and John, and he began to say, I was deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, if you would hear somebody else saying that, you would say, boy, they don't have very much faith. Right? You could, you could say that. But this is Jesus. And he just laid it all out to the people who were closest to him. And then he said, stay here and watch. And he goes away and he comes back and they're asleep. And in another, uh, another version of it, he said the angels came and they ministered to him. And then he goes back and he does the same thing. And he prays the same thing again. And then he finally gets to that place where he says, not my will but your will, God, after he's gone through that whole process. And then he says, get up. And this is, I don't know if you've seen this before. This is, I think, an incredible part of this story that we're going to take a look at. It says, the son of man is delivered into the hands of the sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. There's a totally different tone to that last verse than there is to the ones going through it. There's something that happened in the mind of Christ that he got all those things ventilated out of him and he could focus on what was really important for him to do, the destiny, what he is designed to do. And friends, for you and I, that's what I want you to get today. There is a way that we can get to that point. It actually doesn't matter what our circumstances are. It doesn't matter what the troubles are. That God has designed us to have a way to ventilate out those thoughts so we can have the ability to have the mind of Christ. And we're going to look at that together and sort of unpack what that looks like. So there are four things in Jesus' jailbreak strategy that I want to talk to you about. The first one is this, is it's faith, then it's face, then it's friends, then it's freedom. All right, so those four things are going to help us to look at what is Jesus' jailbreak strategy. The first one is faith. Even, and even then, Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. Everything is possible for you. See, that's the place we need to start. We need to not start with our emotions or with our thoughts or even try to discern and figure it all out. We start with a place where we say, what's the solution to this problem? God is and everything is possible with him. In my family, for better or for worse, we have a dog and we got a cat. And this has been very interesting to see this. So I have a little cat. I don't watch cat videos, but I got this little cat thing. I thought this is very good. 
If you only focus on the problem, you might miss the easy solution. <laughs> and this is kind of, guys, how I want to encourage us to think about what it is that we do when we first have problems, when you first confront something. The first thing you need to say and you need to train yourself to say is this. All things are possible with God. Now, I don't think that that naturally comes there. I think you train yourself to do that. I think you think about those things. I think you decide that that's going to be the way that you are going to approach life. That's going to be part of the renewing of your mind. Before you get into anything else, you stand on that point and you begin there because where you begin is so important. And and I want to take just a few minutes to think about that through with you. And say, how do we get to that place? How do we learn that? And I think one of the biggest things in our world right now is that we have to turn down the noise. Because if we're really going to get to that place, we have to turn down the noise. We're in a 24-hour news cycle. There are bloggers and everybody flowing at us. And we listen to people who get paid to argue. Right? They get paid to argue. They argue, they go back and forth. You get you all riled up and you're like, Rah! and then the two of them go out for lunch and have a good time. <laughs> and that is, that's the news cycle. And we buy into this whole thing. And there's a manipulation that when you turn down the volume, you realize they're actually trying to manipulate me into being afraid. It's the strategy of the people who are there. They're trying to say what you should hate. And they're trying to say, I know what's behind the curtain. They don't know what's behind the curtain. They don't have any clue what's behind the curtain. They're not that smart. And I'm not sure either of us are either. And I don't think that's the thing we should be focusing on. As you turn down the volume in your life, there's a clarity that begins to happen. And all of a sudden you begin to see and know and understand that everything is possible with God. Turn down the volume. The second thing is this. And these are really simple, but I think it's part of what we need to do, is we need to understand that each one of us has hurry sickness. And I think the pandemic has helped us with this, where we can kind of slow down just a little bit. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, that the, the, the psalmist says, he makes me lie down and then my soul is restored. I think that order is incredibly important. That sometimes God comes to that place, and, and I don't know if you've had in the pandemic where you've been made to lie down. It's a little bit of that, is you've been made to lie down, and that's when you restore. I know some of the, uh, uh, some of the uh, people who are looking at the, how the brain works and how it functions, the neuroscientists, have say probably the best thing that you can do to break a pattern is you can take 16 minutes and you can just daydream. And for some of you, you're going, this is exactly what I do every sermon when I listen to, is I just tune out and I daydream for 16 minutes. Just stick with me just a little bit here. But that, there's actually something that breaks the pattern. And you do that to have it. So rather than taking the next 16 minutes and you just daydreaming, I have, I have another way that I'd like us to do this together. There is a psalm that for probably the last uh, 20 years I've had on and off that I've used. And it comes, it, it comes from a, a Japanese gentleman who took Psalm 23. And so I want you to close your eyes right now, right where you are. And I want you to, and this is sort of your daydream. This is sort of your exhale to focus on God. And this is what it says. The Lord is my pace setter. I shall not rush. He provides me with images of stillness, which restore my serenity. He leads me in paths of efficiency through calmness of mind And his guidance 
is peace. Even though I have a great many things to accomplish this day, I will not fret for his presence is here. His timelessness, his all importance will keep me in balance. He prepares refreshment and renewal in the midst of all my activity by anointing my head with the oil of tranquility. My cup of joyous energy overflows. Surely harmony and effectiveness will be the fruit of my hours. And I will walk in the place of the Lord. You see, when we turn down the volume, when we understand that hurry is not the answer, we get a clearer sense of God. You can do anything. You can do all things. That's the first place that we need to start with that place of faith. The second is to face, to ask God for help. Uh, it says, once more he went away. And I don't know if you saw this in, in Mark uh, fourteen thirty nine. He said, and he prayed, what? The same thing. See, I always thought praying the same thing was bad or for sure boring, Right? Can I pray the same thing? Man, I'm pathetic. I'm a terrible Christian. How come that I'm praying the same thing? But you know what? Jesus does it. He says, not once, not twice, but three times he prayed the same thing. And what he did is he dug into it and he went at it and he went after it. And if you and I are going to get into it, Jesus didn't deny and say, oh, that isn't actually a problem. Or I'm just, you know, throw some religious cliche at it. But he said, I'm going to dig into this. And I'm actually personally incredibly encouraged that Jesus had to pray about something three times. Because I, I, think, I think, man, maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am. Well, maybe I am as bad as I think I am. But at least I'm encouraged that Jesus prayed three times for it. And he had to dig in and he had to go after it. And in our lives, if we're going to face what's going on, there's a, there's a path to this. Where you grab a hold of it and you dig in and you don't let go. And there's an anguish of this. I mean, your mind and my mind are kind of like this. I was in the, the, the desert and I, I found these things. And, and these things are called creeping devils. And these things actually uh, kind of take themselves, they multiply and they take themselves apart from the root and they actually creep along the floor and they move along the desert floor. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, I think, that's a lot like the thoughts in my mind. And I have to keep going back and back and back and pray the same thing. And I think as we do that, we understand that there's something about facing it, about honestly coming before it, that even Jesus had to do. And he says, in his anguish, he prayed more fervently. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And in the garden, basically what he was saying is, God, isn't there another way? And in our lives, sometimes we get to that where you're struggling with some things, and especially if it's emotional or mental, and you just think, man, God, isn't there another way? And maybe this is your prayer. God, I'm asking for your help. I'm in a lot of pain right now. I need some relief, and I'm going to ask you to do a miracle. And I know you have the power to change the system, the situation, and I'm asking you to do it now and to go after it. And I think there's, it's great for us to look at God 
to see the situation and just say, God, I am asking you right now and I'm going to keep asking you and I'm going to keep doing this. And here's the way that you do it. And, and, um, and if you've ever read Dr. Carolyn Leaf, I think she is this amazing gift to the body of Christ. She's this neuroscientist and she studies the brain and she's this very put together proper, I think she's South African, has a fairly thick South African accent. And she says, here's what you need to do. You need to freak out in the love zone. I just think that's so fantastic, right? I got the freaking out part right. Now I just got to get the love zone part right. And, and here's what she means by that. And I think it's exactly what Jesus modeled for us. See, in our lives, we can freak out in the fear zone. We can think about all those things that are good could potentially happen to us. I think it's like 90% of the things that we're afraid of will never happen. I think the number might even be bigger. And we can freak out in the fear zone. We can think about all the sort of things that are going to happen and build them up huge in our mind. And that's one way to do it. We can freak out in, in the worry zone. And we can think about things and we can build, we can feed that worry monster into everything. We can freak out in the shame zone. And I think this is a lot of the quietness of our heart. This is where a lot of us go is we hear everything that everybody said about us that's bad. We hear our worst thoughts. And we go to that place and we just freak out there. And we believe it. And what Jesus modeled for us with that phrase that Dr. Lee said is, you need to freak out in the love zone. You need to get to that place where, you know what, it's actually okay to say those things. It's actually okay to scream and holler and do what David did. Read the Psalms. He just poured it all out, but he poured it all out to God, in God, with God. And he just said, you know what? I can freak out in the love zone. Because when I do that, I actually ventilate all the thoughts out. And they go through and I can get to some place that's healthy and that's good. And in our minds, that's what we're doing. We're freaking out in the love zone. I, one of the ways that I learned this again, and some of you know this story, is that I was talking to a friend of mine. We were having coffee, and he had actually a terrible, terrible thing happen to him. He was uh, driving his car, and I, he hit someone, or someone hit him, and the person died. And he was recounting this situation, and the police think that this person committed suicide that way. I mean, what... And you think of that, that's absolutely terrible and not thinking it through, right? And so he's recounting the story to me. And I said, wow, how'd you get over that? And he kind of laughs and he said, get over it? <laughs> hmm. He said, well, here's what happened the first time I tried to drive. I got in my car, starting to drive, went to a red light, and I got into a full-blown panic attack. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't think. I couldn't let go of the steering wheel. I could do nothing. And from then on, I, you know, went to into like two and three hour full blown panic attacks. And he began to describe to me what a panic attack was like. And over my life, and I'm, I'm kind of in the empathy um, business as a pastor, I've realized that I can feel things that people feel. And as I began, as he was describing this, I was beginning to feel that soul thing. And I thought, wow, that's really horrible. And then I realized I was really, really feeling that thing. Then I realized I was in full-blown panic. I was in this chair, and the only, I couldn't, he was, his lips were moving. I could, all I could think about is, I got to get out of here. And I'm thinking, this is so weird. Like, seriously? And, I, and I'm holding on to this chair. I'm thinking, oh, I hope he doesn't think this. I hope he doesn't think this. I'm holding on to this chair, and I was absolutely panicked. 
and somehow it ended and I went home and I told Eileen and then I got into, then I decided to freak out in the fear zone, right? And I said, you know what? What happens if every time I sit down with somebody, I start to panic again? Or what happens when I get up to preach and all of a sudden this thing starts happening and you know, like in the middle of the sermon, I'd be out and Derek would have to play some ABBA or something. And I, and so I was freaking out in the fear zone, freaking out in the worry zone. And as I began to pray about it, and I actually talked to, to Pastor Keith a little bit, and as we talked about it, you know, the thing that God said to me says, you know what, I, w- I want to grow you in some things, including the fact that I want you to know what it feels like for somebody to experience that. I thought, oh, <laughs> man, do I have a lot of compassion for that. And from then on, when a thought came, I could actually just freak out in the love zone and say, you know what, God, actually, if you want me to do that or feel that anytime, I'm good with that. Because my job is to be here to try to help. And I would love to be able to help because that, look, that was so terrifying. See, there's a way in which we can choose which zone we freak out in. And so you and I have the capacity, like David did, like Jesus modeled for us, to be deadly honest with what we're feeling, what we are, but let that be in the context of that relationship we have with God, of the love that he has blowing, and then it blows through to that place where we are wired to do those things that God wants us to do. So that is what God has for us to freak out in the love zone and have that happen. There's a lady who Eileen was actually reading this story about forgiveness. And uh, she was talking about this lady named Lisa. And and she had had, her husband had had an affair. Turned out he had a whole bunch of addictions that were going on in his life. And it was an absolute uh, train wreck of a marriage. And she just freaked out in the freak zone is what she decided to do. And she just went into all sorts of of terrible thought patterns and depressions and horrible stuff. And she got to the place where she slowly realized that she didn't have to react. And a lot of it had to do with forgiveness. And really understanding that forgiveness and how I deal with my feelings and letting that thought, those stuff blow through so I didn't grab a hold of those thoughts. And she'd done a great job and kind of got to that place. And she says, you know, I'm, I'm really learning how to deal with stuff. And then there was a family thing that happened and the family was supposed to all do this deal. And they, she said, no, it's a terrible idea. Somehow they did it anyways, didn't tell her. And then they get this thing from the lawyer, this paper from the lawyer saying all the money that she owed because her family had made this bad decision. And so she opens this thing up, you know, and she had just been on focus on the family. She had written a book and she had this whole thing about how you do this. And she reads it and she slowly starts to tear the paper up. (laughs) That didn't work enough, so she tore it up the other way. She grabbed the envelope and ripped the whole thing up and threw it down on the floor. Her husband walks by and goes, well, that's a statement. <laughs> and then she goes, oh, now I got to call the place. So she calls the lawyer's office and says, you know, hi, this is Karen so-and-so. She says, oh, are you the lady who wrote the book? <laughs> she goes, yeah, I wrote the book. Yeah, I'm going to need another paper. I, uh, I sort of shredded the other one. <laughs> you know what? We are on a journey together of figuring this out. The thing is this is I hope you get this. I want you to think about how God treats you, how kind he is, how patient he is. And I want you to extend that same kindness and patience to yourself. 
You can be strong on yourself and still be kind. And if you're going to freak out in the love zone, if you're really going to face these things, you're going to have to carry both of those things. There's a strength and a kindness that God treats you with that you can treat yourself with. That's how we grow. The third one is this, is you need friends to reach out. Uh, He said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. See, he brought his closest friends to that place where they could share and have those things. See, what happens to most of us is is we cloister in and we get into cave syndrome, right? And we we don't let anybody come near us. And if we're going to really get into that place, and are people going to fail you? Absolutely. And there probably, as you're hearing this, you're thinking about all the times that somebody, you went to somebody and they didn't do what you wanted them to do. But God's designed you to be in community and to be connected together. And there's actually a whole bunch of things that happen to us physiologically. I don't know if you knew this. For people who spend excessive time in isolation, this is physically what happens to them. Your brain actually shrinks. Your long-term memories fade. Your ability to remember those cognitive skills begin to diminish. You see, God said it is not good to be alone. And especially when you're struggling, it's not good to be alone. And I'd like to kind of challenge you in this. Who are the people that you have the ability to freak out with? I have four freak out friends. One is local. Two are longer term people. And the fourth one is my wife. And I am careful to spread the goodness around so I'm not freaking out with my wife all the time. And I think that's a very wise thing for you. If you have a partner or if you have a close friend, spread the goodness around. Don't dump it all on everyone. But who is it in your life? Who do you have that you can be deadly honest with and you can just allow God to help you ventilate your life? You see, real relationships are the way which he ventilates you and brings health to your thoughts and to your mind. Who are you doing that with? Some of us are incredibly self-contained. And especially as you become a leader or as you move, move in a place where you begin to think things, those are absolute lies. Everybody needs a few people to do that with. The fourth thing is this. When you've done all of those things, it leads us to that faith, face, and friends. It leads us to the point where Jesus came. And that's where we get freedom from surrender. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus came to that place not as a religious cliche or not like, yeah, yeah, I know the right answer. But he lived it. He got it. He, he took it. And then he began to face his life with a completely different way of looking. You see, when we do that, friends, and, and this list I'm going to go through way too quickly. These are all what we have We have faith, we have prayer, we have scripture, we have repentance, we have community, we have counseling, we have deliverance, we have medicine, we have praise, we have purpose, we have diet and exercise. All of those things get their strength in in getting our minds strong when we understand that as a Christian, what we have is the surrender to God. And then those things bring real life to us. Then we have something that's really significant. There's a last piece, and, and I actually wasn't going to share this, but I felt like the Lord prompted me is that uh, what isn't healed on earth is healed in heaven. There's a, a lady who was, was talking to her friend and, and knew that her 12-year-old had died uh, of an asthma attack and, and was just devastated and said, you know, took her years to take up the courage to say, how did you drive away that day from the hospital? Like, what was that like? 
I can't imagine that moment. And she said, you know what? Here's, here's what I have learned. And I want you to hear like she ventilated her thoughts and got the mind of Christ. Here's what her day was. She said, you know what? I realized this. The worst day of my life was my daughter's best day. I think we don't think about that enough. I think we don't really truly understand and appreciate how everything gets healed. And there are some things in our world that we are not designed to experience. And I don't know why or how or where it does, but God says, I have got this. All things are possible for him. And sometimes that possible is later. But God says, I have something for you now that I want to bring to you. And I want to stir you up. I want to challenge you. I want to say, don't, don't I'll just live like the world lives. There is something in these four things that God has for you. It's a pattern that Jesus set out to say, you can have all things that are possible for you. There's a last story that I want to share with you. And it comes up, actually, I was meeting with a lady this week and asked her if I could share a little bit of her life story. And she uh, grew up in a home where, or drug use and, and a whole lot of marijuana and sometimes hard drugs and partying was just normal. So that's what everybody did, right? That was sort of normal. And then she got married to somebody who lived that kind of normal. And she had young kids and the partying kept going and he was out cheating. And then eventually he started getting harsh with her and, and violent with her. And she was so depressed and hopeless, just thought, this is my life, there's nothing to this, and she made some terrible choices, and then came to that place where she had a friend who, who came to Church of the Rock, and she kept, this friend kept bugging her all the time, saying, you should come to church, you should come to church, you should come to church, so one time she snuck, didn't tell her friend, and she snuck and she sat in the back row, and the preacher was preaching and asked the person, to, asked if anybody wanted to raise their hand up. And she, the way she described it was just so interesting. She says, I was sweating like crazy. My body started to tingle. My knees got weak and I just started bawling. And I just raised my hand up. And I just felt Jesus come. And he says, I've never had anything like this before in my life. And just wrap his arms around me and just hug me and hold me. I just felt complete peace. And complete understanding. And then my friend introduced me, found me and introduced me to Pastor Keith. And she said, 20 years later, she's in, in her 40s now. She says, I remember these words that he said to me. He said, you are God's child and all things are possible with God. There's a jailbreak that God has for you. And it starts with that. All things are possible with God. See, you know, she's still on a journey. She and I were just talking this week, but, but this is an amazing lady. From where she was, there's been an incredible jailbreak. She owns a business in the West End, is, is really significant in helping out in the Aboriginal community where her roots are. She even has some TV stuff that she's got going on, that God has just placed her in a place of incredible influence and power. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he got his mind in that place and he said, arise, look, here I'm going to what it is that God's called me to do. Friends, that is what we can do. No matter what your situation is, you can believe that God has something that he can give to you today. Amen? Amen. All right. Here's what I'd like you to do. 
there is going to be a little hand that's going to pop up in, in just a minute, and we're going to pray. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want to give you an assignment that you can do, and it's going to see popping up on the screen, is you can do this. And the first one is a little bit of an exercise, and the other two you can do. And uh, actually, it's interesting, over the years, probably a dozen people have said that they felt like God gave them this assignment, the first one. And that's this. You kind of go in the middle, and you lay down, or whatever you're doing, and you just review your day in your mind. And you just take everything that happened that day, and you just give it to Jesus. God, this thing happened today. God, I just give that to you. I don't know what to do with it. Or I'm not sure about this. God, this person said this. I just give that to you. And they start from beginning to end. And you think it's going to take a long time. It's not. Just go through your whole day and you ventilate and begin to do that. The second thing is uh, take an open Bible or an app that might ring at the time and have it be the first thing that you do in the morning, read the Bible, and the last thing that you do at night. I guarantee you if you do that, that your thoughts are going to begin to get ventilated, that you're going to get something amazing out of that. And the third thing is this, why don't you call or connect with someone you love and who loves you? And I think the best way that you can do that is do it every day. And it doesn't have to be long. Uh, Brain studies say now that there are happy endorphins that get released in the first 20 seconds of connecting with somebody. So just call them for 20 seconds and hang up. Some of the guys, if that's your thing, there you go. That's your ticket. Do any one of those three things, and I believe that God is going to meet you in that, and it's going to be a good thing. All right, we're going to pray together, and that hand's going to pop up. Here's what we're going to do. If you need to, if that story that I told about that lady in the church, if that kind of resonated with you, maybe you're in that place right now where you say, I need that, and you need Jesus to come. Your life is, is in that place. I'd like you to just click on that hand. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're acknowledging God and you're just saying, God, I need you. And we're going to pray a prayer together. And as we pray it, you're going to repeat after me. And as you repeat after me, it's just an invitation for God to come in. And I believe that here is going to be an amazing jailbreak for you. All right. Please repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you came so I could live the way you designed me to live, free. I, today I choose to give leadership of my life to you. I thank you that from now on, you're in charge, and with you, all things are possible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.